Well, good morning, good morning again. As half of our congregation leaves. Now, if you're uh, if you're looking at the story Bible, uh, this is chapter three, and today we're looking at Joseph. And uh, there's a couple things I need to tell you. First of all, uh, we've got a rather long text to read this morning. Um, and uh, we're going to read that together in just a minute. And the other thing I should tell you is that uh, in the bulletin, it says Genesis 37, 1 to 17. It's actually Genesis 37, 1 to 38. Sorry, 1 to 28, sorry. But we're going to skip through a couple of, uh, a couple of verses there. So just want to make the story coherent. Uh, let's stand together and um, let's read together. I'm reading the blue, and this is what it says. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. When his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. No, no, hang on. Here we are. And Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright when your sheaves while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to rule us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, but this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars and when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers have gone to graze their father's flocks near Shekin. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shekin. Come, I am going to send you to them. And so Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. But they saw him in a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come, now let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness. But don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. 
And when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took, it, took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Joseph to Egypt. Let's pray together. Father, again, we want to just pause and give you thanks and praise and to acknowledge your presence in our midst and in our hearts and in our lives and thanking you for your love for us in Jesus Christ and for the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit that takes what you've done in Jesus and makes it possible and applicable and available in each of our lives. And so we ask now that that same Holy Spirit would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts to understand, but particularly as we go out into our lives after this service, into our marriages and our families and our dorms and our workplaces and the places where we do recreation and leisure and where we get our services that you would help us by the same Holy Spirit to live out what it means to be your followers and to do that in practical, tangible, and meaningful ways. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the story of Joseph in chapter 3 is called From Slave to Deputy Pharaoh, but my title that I like is From Riches to Rags, to riches. Now, there are several things that we need to keep in mind when we talk about Joseph. If you notice, at the beginning of our text in verses 37, verses 1 and 2, it gives us the setting for the bigger picture, for God's upper story. And if you've been reading the story, then you know that the big picture, the upper story, is God's story. Now, what's interesting in our text is this, and in our topic today, is that our text actually doesn't even begin with Joseph. It begins with his father, Jacob. And this is what it says. It says that Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan, and this is the account of Jacob's family tree. Now, of course, we talked about Jacob a little bit last week, and we know that he is one of a twin with his brother Esau, that he is the grandfather, sorry, he is the grandson of Abraham, and he is the one through which the promise of God to Abraham is going to come. And we know that his name was changed because he underwent a transformation, and his name was changed actually from Jacob to Israel. And you'll notice in verse 3 that even in our text, it starts with Jacob. Jacob, and then all of a sudden in verse 3, Jacob is no longer mentioned, and his name is called Israel from there on forward. And he is the father of 12 sons, 12 tribes, of which Joseph is one. Now, the big picture, the upper story in our text and in the story Bible is one about the preservation of a nation, of a family. Now the backstory is simply this, is that there is a famine in the land of Canaan. 
And the famine is going to eliminate, it is going to kill off this young fledgling family if they don't get some help. And so God made provision for their preservation through Joseph in putting him in the right place at the right time. Now, if you're wondering, and if this question maybe has come to your mind, then, then why didn't God thwart the famine? I mean, after all, he's God. He can do anything he pleases to do, and he could have thwarted the famine. But there's another issue that's in play here, and here's the issue. It's a matter of timing. It is not yet the right time for Jacob and his family slash nation to take possession of the promised land, the land of Canaan. And the other thing that God is trying to make sure doesn't happen is that he does not want this new family to be married to the locals, to the Canaanites. And so what he does is he moves them down to Egypt and gets them out of the location so that they do not have marital relationships with the Canaanite people and therefore become corrupt. With that said, Egypt is a great place to do this because in Egypt it is a dis disgrace for an Egyptian to marry a shepherd. And all of Jacob's family were shepherds. And shepherds were despised in Egypt, so there's no Egyptian going to marry anybody that's a shepherd. And on top of that, they go down there and Pharaoh gives the family the land of Goshen. And the land of Goshen is very fertile. It's like the Niagara Peninsula of Egypt. Now this is God's bigger picture. This is his upper story. That brings us then to the main character of our topic today, which is Joseph. Now, Joseph's role in the story, in the big picture, in the upper story, must be seen in light of that context. You have to keep that in your mind. We have to keep that in the filing cabinet in the back of our minds. Joseph fits into the bigger story. And the bigger story, as I already mentioned, is the story of the family, of the nation, of the 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Jacob slash Israel. Now, Joseph's story is also important in another way because in it, we begin to see how God works in our lives as people of faith. Now, what's interesting is, is that Joseph's story is important for another reason, that his story is actually takes up 13 chapters in the Old Testament. 13 chapters. And Joseph's story takes up more room in the Bible than any other person's story. Any other patriarch, I should say. It takes up more room than Abraham. It takes up more room than Jacob. 
It takes up more room than Isaac. Jacob, Joseph's story takes up 15, 13 chapters. And because it takes up so much space in the Old Testament, we need to pay attention to it. Our lives, your life and my life, our lives are lived in a bigger context as well. And while the broader context of our lives is important, so is the fact of what is happening in us and what is happening to us. So this is what we are told about Joseph. Joseph is Jacob's boy. And he's not just Jacob's boy, he is Jacob's favorite child. Now let me ask you a question. How many of us are parents? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. I know sometimes you want to be, but raise your hands. Now, does any of you have favorites? A favorite child? I can guarantee you that your kids think you do. Now, our kids did. Scott and Josh, our two oldest boys, our two boys, we have a daughter named Sarah, and um, now they argued over the years of which one of them was our favorite child. What they didn't know is that neither one of them are, that Sarah is our favorite child. Now, for those of you that don't know the story, Sarah is 28 years old, she has Down syndrome, and uh, she's just a delight, Uh, but uh, the reality is that that's the way that goes. But how many of you have favorite sons or daughters? Don't answer the question, Um, because some people will say to me, no, I love all my children the same. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. You just go ahead and believe that myth. Now, how many of you are children of parents? Raise your hand. Okay, I'm worried. There are people not raising their hands. Okay, us kids now, offspring of our parents, uh, don't raise your hand on this. How many of you? No, you know, let's do this. Let's do a little survey. How many of you believe that another sibling other than yourself was your parent's favorite? Now, I have my hand up because for years we have bugged my brother, my oldest brother, that he was my mom's favorite. Matter of fact, for the longest time, his was the only picture she carried in her wallet. (laughs) And that was an oversight, I know, but we have bugged the daylights out of that poor man. But I don't think that that is the case. Um, But it certainly isn't me. Um, But (laughs) I sure hope she's not listening. How many of you believe that you are actually your parents' favorite? (laughs) How many of you raise your hand? You think, oh, bless your souls. You see, you know what? Uh, We need to get all those people therapy. (laughs) Now, Jacob is, um, wow, I kind of got off track there. Uh, Jacob, sorry, uh, Joseph is Jacob's favorite boy, favorite child. And he makes this beautiful ornate robe, you know, this uh, technicolor dream coat, you know, this robe of many colors. 
And uh, the other thing that we're told about Jacob or Joseph is that his brothers hate his guts. And the last thing that we're told about um, Joseph is that he is a dreamer. And all of these and more is going to create some trouble in Joseph's life. Louis Armstrong saying, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Sometimes I'm up and sometimes I'm down. Oh, yes, Lord, sometimes I'm almost to the ground. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And that brings us then to the nature of trouble. Now, we all know, of course, that there are different kinds of trouble. There is, first of all, some trouble that we experience that is not always our fault. It's sometimes trouble comes to us because we live in the world that we live in. And we live in a broken world, in a fallen world, and sometimes some of the trouble that we experience and that we incur is sometimes the consequences and the result of the decisions that other people make. And while we're not, res- <laughs> and while we're not responsible for them, the reality is we do feel the consequences of them. Now, for Christians... Some of the trouble that we experience is because we are Christ followers. You know that, right? Uh, You know that some people are going to hate your guts just because you're a Christian and for no other reason. You know that, right? Not everybody's going to love you. And the fact that you love Jesus, they're not going to love you for some other reasons. Jesus said these words. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. But Jesus also said this. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. But in this world, you're going to have trouble. You know that, right? Like We know that uh, some people, some Christians think that um, if they've got some trouble in their lives, then the reality is there must be something wrong with their faith. Well, that totally idea totally contradicts what Jesus says. Jesus says, hey, wake up and smell the chaos. You're going to have some trouble. Matter of fact, the different translations say you're going to have some tribulation. You're going to have some affliction. You're going to have some anguish. You're going to have some persecution. And this is my favorite. You're going to have some turbulence. You can't fly on this aircraft called earth and not experience some turbulence. But Jesus didn't end there, did he? He said this, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, so there's some trouble that's not our fault. There's some trouble that happens to us because we are Christ followers. And then there's some trouble that is self-inflicted. Joseph had some of that kind of trouble. Now, I think here's a little advice that Joseph could have used. If we have dreams of our siblings bowing down to us, sometimes it's best that we keep it to ourselves. However, 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 even when trouble 
is self-inflicted. Even there, God is at work. That's grace. Even when my trouble is self-inflicted, even there, God is at work in my life and in my circumstances. When you create your own trouble, even there, God is at work in your life and in your circumstances. Trouble has a purpose. And in Joseph's life, and oftentimes in our lives, that trouble is about character development or a character adjustment. Now, Joseph may or may not have known, but one of the things that is going on in his story is that God is also doing something personal in Joseph. And what you and I need to remember as well is that in a different sense, God is at work in the big picture, but in our lives, God is doing something personal in me and you. Somebody said this, that God is more concerned with what happens in us than what happens through us. And then there's this, something that I think is just profoundly powerful in the biblical text. There is a line in Joseph's story that is significant, and this one line is repeated four times. Four times. Four times. And it speaks to us, and it reminds us of God's providence. Let me read them to you. The first one is Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 to 4. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officers, who was the captain of the guard actually, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph. So that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master, and when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant, and Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Fast forward. A number of things happen, and Joseph gets framed, and we come to Genesis 39, 20, and 23. And Joseph's master took him, and put him in prison, and this the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. And he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was responsible for all that was done there. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because... The Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. The Lord was with him four times. And if you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear this. The Lord is with you as well. 
the Lord is with us. Now, I want you to pause for station identification. And I want you to let that sink into you. Don't let it pass you by and go to your spouse or your friend beside you or the person behind you or in front of you. Pause and let that sink into you, to me. The Lord is with, was with Joseph, but the Lord is also with you and with you and you and you and you and you and you and me, with us. But because of circumstance and conditions and situations and events, we cannot always see it. And we don't always believe it. And we don't always understand it. You see, trouble can make it look like we have lost in the short run. But it always pays off in the long run. Now, you know the 50-20 principle, right? How many of you know the 50-20 principle? Raise your hand. Okay, this is deeply discouraging. I told you about the 50-20 principle two years ago. You're killing me, people. Nobody knows what the 50-20 principle is. It comes right out of Joseph's story. It's Genesis 50-20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good and to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, what Joseph's brothers did was wrong, but God used their sin and their hatred and their jealousy to accomplish his overall purposes in the upper story, his big story, and to accomplish his purposes in the lower story in Joseph's life. You see, God uses everything. Can you uh, move that forward for me, Eric, please? God, here it is. Oh, here it is. Stop right there. God uses everything in my life. God used everything in Joseph's life, and God is going to use everything in your lives. The good, the bad, and the ugly. His brothers will put him in a pit. They'll sell him as a slave to Egypt. And in Potiphar's house, he's going to rise to authority. And then he's going to get framed by the boss's spouse. And he goes to jail. And he rises again, and he's forgotten, and then he's remembered, and then he rises again for the final time. God knows how to redeem everything in our lives for the sake of his upper story and for the benefit of our lower story. Everything. God knows how to do that. But it may take a while. I want to show you a chart. 
Scott will be horrified that I've actually put this up there because it's not very well done. This is the chart of Joseph's life. 17 years old, he told his brother about his dreams. 30 years old, Joseph becomes second in command of Egypt. At 39 years old, his brother comes and asks him for grain. 22 years lapse between the time Joseph got the dream and the time that it was fulfilled. And some of us are waiting longer than 22 years. But I'm telling you, what God says, God will do. Joseph dies at 110. That's quite the gene pool, don't you think? No lifeguard. Joseph enjoyed 71 years of living in prosperity and peace. For 22 years, his life was miserable. And for 71 years, he lived a blessed life. And he had a role in God's upper story, and it made his lower story richer. And in all the junk and all the trouble that happened to him in the lower story was survivable. But we forget that. We, what we forget is that none of us gets out of this life without some problems and some trouble. Now, some of us know that better than others, but I love something Max Licato said. Max Licato said, you'll get through this. It won't be painless. It won't be quick. But God will use this mess for good. In the meantime, don't be foolish or naive, but don't despair either. With God's help, you'll get through this. But there's also this. There are three things that we need to know. The first thing in our lives is that there are two stories happening in our lives simultaneously. There is an upper story, a bigger picture that we're a part of. And there is a lower story. And in our lower story, we are trying to make the best decisions we can but none of us can see around the next corner. And none of us can control what is coming around the next corner. But the goal is to align our story to God's story. And Isaiah says these words, which many of us are familiar, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. And neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, God promises that when you and I align our story with his story, he promises that it'll be a good story. If you don't believe that, then listen to it from the Bible. And we know that all things work 
works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purposes. And all of us, right? Every single one of us in the room, every one of us listening online, all of us want our stories to be a good story, right? That's what we want. We want, in the end, our story to be a good story. And this is what Joseph learned, and it's hopefully what we are learning. I'm going to invite the musicians to come, and I want to tell you a story as we conclude. And most of you know it. It's the story of Horatio Spafford. And the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Now, most of us know that he lost his, all of his daughters in a, um, a boating, a, a ship disaster. But there's some more pieces to the puzzle that you need to know. First of all, that Horatio and his wife lost their two-year-old son to a disease. In the Chicago, the Great Fire of Chicago in 1871, it ruined him financially. He had been heavily invested as a lawyer in the area of Chicago that burned. By the way, did you know that they took in the late 1900s that they took the pines from Sudbury and shipped them down to Chicago and that's how they rebuilt Chicago. So we have a connection to it is well with my soul. So let me continue. Not only did he almost get financially ruined, to add insult to injury, there was a financial economic downturn in 1873, and he was affected by that. He planned a trip to Europe, and at the last minute, his plans changed, and he sent his family ahead of him. And on the way, of course, we know that there was a collision with another ship, and all four of Spafford's daughters drowned. And his wife, Anna, was the only one that survived. And she sent what is now the famous telegram, Saved Alone. Shortly after uh, he received the telegram, he got on another ship and made his way across the ocean so he could be with his grieving wife. And as he passed the approximate area where the ship his family was on and his four daughters drowned, he was inspired to pen these words. Would you stand? And when Peace like a river attended my way when sorrows like sea billows
Because you take everything and Lord you use it to form us into the likeness of your glorious son Jesus Christ and when that begins to happen and it is happening in our lives little by little piece by piece day by day step by step while that is happening and when it happens, our story is going to be a good story. And we give you praise and we give you thanks. And we bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.